everyone, we're back with another episode of God Besotted. I am very excited about today's episode because the passage is so rich with hope, so rich with mercy and encouragement. And I hope that as you come away from today's podcast, you're able to answer certain questions with a biblical response. How can I change? How can I get free? What purpose does God have for me? Because 2 Corinthians 3, uh, the end of it that we're going to look at today, really does answer these questions. It teaches us how we have freedom to change, what we're changing into, and what God has called us to, which is glory. So it's a very encouraging passage, very relevant and impactful for our lives today. So with that, let's, uh, let's get right into it. And so the passage we're going to look at and talk about today invites us to consider the gospel. The gospel, which is the truth that God, through Jesus Christ, became flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again to make us righteous by his righteousness and whole by his wounds and thereby bring us to God. The passage shows us that the gospel is like a mirror by which we see the glory of God up close and personal. But as we're going to see, we don't just see God's glory. We are freed by the Holy Spirit from fear to draw near to God's glory. And we're able to enjoy intimacy with God in his holy presence. And we start to desire to become closer to him by being more like him. And that desire, as we spend our time gazing at God and enjoying face-to-face time with him, it actually transforms us. So that what we see magnified in our spiritual mirrors, as it were, is inner beauty that is found only by becoming more like Jesus. I'll show you where I'm getting this, and hopefully as we go along in the passage, you will see it as well. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul's in the middle of reminding the Corinthians of his love for them and his authority over them as an apostle. And he's reminding them that the only proof that they need of his authenticity as an apostle and the work that he's done among them is themselves. They're uh, the proof of discipleship that they see among themselves is the only proof they need to know that Paul is legit. And so he picks up in verse 4 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, and he says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Pause. Paul is saying that he is a minister of a new covenant. This is coming from Jeremiah 31. It's coming from Jesus' own words at Passover before his death. We are under a new covenant, which means that we have the law written on our hearts instead of the law made on tablets of stones. And so Paul is about to say that the, the main difference between these two covenants is the difference of the Holy Spirit. So picking up in verse 7, Paul says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, the law, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, even though it was fading, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. 
For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So we're going to be camping out mostly in verses 12 through 18, but I read the preceding verses to give us a little bit of context. Paul in these verses is contrasting what he calls the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of righteousness. In the Old Covenant, where wherein Israel was given the law and was commanded to keep God's word, it was a fading covenant, is what Paul is saying. It had glory. It had so much glory that when Moses would come down from speaking with God, he would put a veil over his face because the sons of Israel were scared to look at his glowing face. That's in Exodus 34. So Paul is saying the old covenant had glory, but it was a temporary one. It was a temporary covenant. It is fading away and what remains has even more glory because what remains is a ministry of righteousness or a ministry of the spirit. The new covenant, like I said before, is under the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us new hearts to desire, uh, to desire to obey God, to see and savor God in Christ. And the ministry of righteousness gives us God's righteousness in Christ. Instead of having to strive to keep the law and to meet God's standard of righteousness and fail miserably. Instead, we've had Christ's righteousness imputed to us, meaning that God declares us righteous by virtue of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so Paul has just finished saying that this ministry of righteousness is much more glorious than the old covenant, than the ministry that he calls of death, of condemnation. And so picking up in verse 12, he says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and we're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. The sons of Israel in Exodus 34 were scared to see Moses's face glowing after he had been in the presence of God. But their fear of things having to do with God, Yahweh, the covenant Lord, began before Exodus 34. In Exodus 19, after God brought Israel out of Egypt and they had arrived after three months to Mount Sinai, which is where they had planned to worship God, God organized through Moses a ceremony by, and during which he was going to descend upon the mountain and he was going to show Israel his glory so that they would fear him and they would believe in him. And so the Israelites consecrated themselves and they saw God descend upon the mountain in fire and smoke. They heard thunder and the sound of a trumpet. And they were so terrified that they asked Moses to be God's spokesperson so that they would not have to look upon God for fear of death. They had already been told not to touch the mountain, not to be on the mountain, but they were still too close for comfort to this holy and this awesome God. And so God, through Moses, gives Israel a law to keep. But as we know from the gospel, from the continuation of the Bible, they were unable to keep the law, not because they were Israel, not because they were worse than us, but because they were human. They had hardened hearts. Without the Holy Spirit, Paul says they had a veil over their hearts. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 12. This veil is what was preventing them from seeing the glory of God. He says their minds were hardened. And until this very day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. When a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And he explains how this happens in verse 17. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives people, and we know it's further than just Israel because he's going to pick up in chapter 4 talking about the unbelieving in general, not just unbelieving Israel. The Spirit is the one who gives people who do not believe the freedom to see God's glory. That's the first thing. People cannot see and savor Christ, who is the glory of God, without a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. A veil lies over their hearts, which prevents them from seeing God's glory. And so he says in chapter four that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving and the veil needs to be removed and it can only be removed through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is who gives us freedom to see. More than that, the Holy Spirit is who gives us freedom to draw near. Where am I getting this from? Well, Paul says that when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And then he explains in verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. At the end of verse 18, after he talks about being transformed into Christ's image from glory to glory, he says this comes just as from the Lord, the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the one to whom people turn, who takes away the veil and gives liberty. The first thing he gives liberty or freedom for is the freedom to see. You're no longer in darkness, but you can see your mind is no longer blinded. You can see God's glory in the face of Christ. The second thing is the freedom to draw near. This is coming from the beginning of verse 18. Paul says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. I want to stick around with those two phrases with unveiled face and as in a mirror for a moment. What does he mean with an unveiled face? The immediate context would be that the veil that we've just been discussing of darkness that prevents someone from being able to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, the immediate context is that veil has been taken away. But more than that, the veil has been taken away that even Moses had. Moses wore a veil to well, to make the sons of Israel comfortable because they were afraid of the glory of God reflected on his face. But Paul says and interprets that passage, Exodus 34, by saying that Moses was also concealing that the glory was fading. He was not trying to draw attention to the fading glory. Um, And so Paul is saying that the unveiled face is not only that we have the freedom to see God's glory in the face of Christ, but that the glory that we see and the glory we reflect, which we'll talk about in a minute, is not fading away. There's no need for a veil because this new covenant has ever increasing glory instead of a glory that is fading over time, that is becoming obsolete elite. So we have the freedom to draw near to Christ because our faces are unveiled. You'll remember that the the temple had a veil separating the holiest place, the Holy of Holies, which the high priest alone was allowed to enter once a year, separating that place from the rest of the temple. And when Christ was crucified and when he died, that veil was torn in half, symbolizing 
that believers now have access to God through Christ. We can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, to the very presence of God, Hebrews says, to find grace and receive help in our time of need. The other place that I'm getting this idea of a freedom to draw near is the phrase as in a mirror. This is a Greek word that I am not going to try to pronounce, but it's a little complicated. It's a bit above my pay grade and it's rare, but it can connote the idea of reflecting as well as looking into. And so Paul says we're beholding as in a mirror, the glory of God. So how are we beholding God's glory as in a mirror? You need to know that mirrors in those days were not like mirrors in these days. They were not like the mirrors in the hotel rooms that show perfectly your every flaw. Mirrors actually were made of polished bronze or other types of sheet metals, and they didn't provide perfectly clear reflections. Nonetheless, they did provide kind of intimate views of what you were looking at inside the mirror. And so when Paul says that we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, he's not referring to the perfection of our view, that we see everything clearly, but he's referring to the intimacy that we have to look upon the glory of God, if that makes sense. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses the same idea and it helps shed light on what he means here. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Because these mirrors were not perfectly clear, they were dim. They needed constant polishing to be able to use them properly. Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 describes that spiritual gifts are passing away, but love, faith, and hope will abide. And right now we see in a mirror dimly. Right now we have intimacy and knowledge, but then... In glory, we will know fully and have more intimacy and knowledge. So when Paul says here in this, in 2 Corinthians, in this passage, that we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, he's referring to the intimacy we get with God through Christ. We have an up-close and personal experience of intimacy with God. We have full access, total acceptance in the beloved. And yet, it is nothing compared to what we're going to see and enjoy when we are with God in glory. So although we have freedom to see God's glory in Christ, and although we have the freedom to draw near to the throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us, nonetheless, this glory that we see now is only a partial a partial representation of the glory we'll see then. Revelation says that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no temple because the Lord God and the Lamb will be the temple. And when we're in that place, the new heavens and the new earth, it says that God's bondservants will see his face. And so right now we see God up close and personal through Christ. We see him in an intimate way. The veil has been torn. The veil has been taken away that was darkening our understanding, that was preventing us from seeing and savoring God's glory in Christ. And now we can draw near. We have full access to God to enter his presence and to be conformed to his image because of what Christ has done. However, there is still a a already and not yet nature to this. We already have access to God and we don't yet have the full access we will have in glory. Nonetheless, Paul is going to say that because of this freedom to see and because of this freedom to draw near, we have freedom to change in the Holy Spirit. 
And so now, because of the Holy Spirit, under this ministry of righteousness, whereby we are made righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, we have the freedom to see the glory of God and to gaze upon it in an intimate way, to draw near and see the glory of the Lord. We don't have to stand afar off next to the mountain. We don't have to veil our faces after coming down from seeing the back of God. We have this intimate and full access to God through the Holy Spirit in Christ. But not only do we have the access and the freedom to gaze upon God's glory in an intimate way, as in a mirror, Paul says, but we also have the freedom to change. We have the freedom to reflect the glory of God because of the inward transformation that the Holy Spirit works in us. Paul says we all with unveiled face, no longer in darkness, able to see, beholding as in a mirror, intimately, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to see, freedom to draw near, and freedom to change. We're no longer under what Paul called a ministry of condemnation, wherein we try to obey the law and we're not able to do so perfectly. Instead, we are under this ministry of righteousness and we are able to obey God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit from a place of acceptance and righteousness. We've already been declared righteous. Now we are working out our salvation or working out our righteousness on a day-to-day -day basis. And so the way that we do this is very important. We're able to change, but how? It says, beholding as in a mirror. We're being transformed into the same image. That is the how. So it's critical to know how we are changing by knowing what we are beholding. And what we're beholding is the glory of the Lord. In the next chapter, just a few verses from this, Paul is going to say that those of us who are in Christ have been given light. We've been given knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Becoming a Christian is recognizing by the power of the Holy Spirit that God's glory is most fully realized and most fully exhibited through the person of, of Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God's glory. And we read in Hebrews 1 that he is the radiance and the exact representation of God's nature. And so Paul is saying that by beholding this Jesus, this Jesus in whom is the fullness of of the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That is amazing. In John 17, Jesus says that he has given believers the same glory which God has given him. He has given to us. He says that in John 17, 22. And the reason is so that we might be with him where he is so that we would see his glory. And so we come back to this mirror idea as we look intimately at the glory of God. Our reflection of God's glory becomes more and more close to what Christ looks like. As we gaze, we are also transformed into that same glory. And so you've heard the phrase, we become what we behold. That's the idea here. We are called to gain the glory of Christ by becoming like him. And the intimacy with God that this transformation gives us is why we were called to become children of God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14 says that we are beloved by God because God has chosen us from the beginning for salvation 
through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, it says, He called us through the gospel that we may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's end goal is that we would be renovated to the image of Christ more and more progressively. 1 John 3 says we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. John in that passage is saying a similar thing that Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying that as of now, our vision of the glory of God is unobstructed, it's intimate, and yet it is limited. It's like these polished bronze mirrors that they had in antiquity that did show an accurate representation. However, they didn't show a perfectly clear representation. It says we don't yet know what we will be. We just know we'll be like him because we'll see him. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, everyone who hopes to be like Christ, as God has called us to be, he's called us to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage at hand, 2 Corinthians 3, says he's called us to be transformed to the same image as Christ. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. And so there's this idea that as we look in this mirror at the glory of the Lord, at the glory of Christ, we become transformed into his image from glory to glory. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually, progressively, that we become purified into the image of Christ because we are children of God, because we have this freedom in the Holy Spirit to change, we are able to become transformed into the image of Christ. And so we become what we behold. The question, of course, is what are we spending our time looking at? What are we spending our time dwelling on? John Piper puts it this way. You become like what you admire most. Where your mind goes is where your treasure is. Where your mind goes, where it wanders is what you desire, what you value, what you treasure. So where are your thoughts? Where are, is your time being spent what is your deepest desire, the thing that you want most, that you admire most? The people of Israel, after that ceremony in Exodus 13, when they saw the glory of the Lord descend on Mount Sinai in thunder, in peals of lightning, and, and the sound of the trumpet and fire and smoke, they pledged their unequivocal allegiance to God. And then just a few chapters later, they crafted a golden calf and they called it God. And so their words during that ceremony were right, but their worship betrayed who they really serve. Your life will show who you really worship. And so if you have been beholding things that are not going to transform you into the image of Christ, this passage is an encouragement to shift your gaze, to turn your eyes upon the Lord so that you would be transformed into his image. For me, this is an incredible vision of God's will for us in Christ. When you feel purposeless, when you feel down, when you feel anxious, this passage is a reminder that we were chosen and we were called for glory. We've been endowed with glory. And the purpose of that glory, the goal of it, I should say, is that as we become more and more like Christ, our intimacy with God then increases. We have already been fully known, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, and we're totally accepted and we're wildly loved. 
But as this image of a mirror communicates, although our knowledge is intimate and it's free, our knowledge is still a bit dim. It's still a bit foggy and dark compared to how it's going to be when we see God in the new heavens and the new earth in glory face to face. And so Jesus says in John 17, 22 through 24, what the goal of this glory is. We have the freedom in Christ through the Holy Spirit to see God's glory, to gaze upon it, and to gain the glory of Christ by beholding him. Jesus had already prayed for the disciples and for us, for everyone who would believe in him. This prayer, he says to God in his prayer before he gets arrested and crucified, he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying that he has given us glory, the same glory that the Father endowed him with, so that we would be one, just as God and the Father and the Spirit are one. And through this unity, the world will know that God is the one who sent Jesus and that God loved us, even as he loved Jesus. God loves us just as much as he loves his own son. For those of us who are in Christ. Then Jesus says in verse 24 of John 17, Father, I desire that they also, believers, whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18 that we've been talking about is that we have been the veil has been taken away from us. The Holy Spirit has allowed us to gaze upon the glory of God in a real and intimate way. And yet Jesus' prayer to the Father before his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension was that the believers in Christ would see his glory, would see his glory and be with him where he is. There's a sense in which we have this intimate vision of the glory of Christ and by beholding that glory we can become like Christ. We can step into and gain the glory of Christ, as Second Thessalonians says. But there is a sense in which this vision is dim. This knowledge is not yet complete. When we are in glory, we'll see Jesus's glory fully and we'll be with him. The intimacy with God that gaining the glory of Christ affords us is what God has for us. It's his very best for us to be seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ and then be transformed into that glory so that we can be intimate with God, speaking to him as a friend face to face forever. And so this passage shows us that the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to see, the freedom to draw near, and the freedom to change. I hope that it's an encouragement to you during this week as you are seeking to answer those critical questions that have so much relevance in our lives. How can I change? How can I behold Christ? How can I have a purpose in life? How can I become more like Christ? I think that this passage has a lot to say about those important questions. Thanks for listening to this episode of God Besotted. Make sure you like, follow, share all the things, and I'll talk to you next week.